Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On this week's episode, I welcome in Paul Higgins, who is a business mentor, a podcaster, and a published author who helps coaches and consultants to build online businesses to fund their lifestyles. And we have a very wide-ranging conversation from his 18 years at the Coca-Cola company, where he led the marketing strategy for a $700 million-plus business unit, to having to leave in 2011 to manage his inherited kidney condition, to you know founding and selling two different businesses. So we go all over the map on a lot of different things, all leading back to the great insight that he's gleaned through these many years in corporate America and then being out on his own. I hope you all enjoy this wide-ranging conversation. So without further ado, my chat today with Paul Higgins. Let's get it started. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Excited to have you. Great to be here, Brian. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, this conversation and uh, looking forward to kind of hearing some of your unique journey. Obviously, there's a lot of things that you've went through in your life and excited to, to hear you share that and how you overcome it. I thought it might be a good jump off point because, you know, this is the Just Get Started podcast and it's kind of, you know, I know a lot of folks out there are probably in a similar position you were, you know, a dozen years ago or so, maybe a little less of they are in corporate America, kind of working their job, but they're looking maybe for other avenues, some other things in their life they want to do. So can you take us maybe back to that time? Because I know you were with Coca-Cola for many years, um, obviously had moved up in the company ranks pretty well. Things were good. Like people would be like, I'm just going to chill here and, and do this for a long time. Like, why not? What changed in your mind? Like, why did you decide to ultimately leave? And uh, let's start there. And then we'll kind of, you know, kind of go down that path. Yeah, well, like you said, I was there for 18 years. So my father worked there. So I was actually really working for Coca-Cola since I was about three because I used to shadow dad everywhere where he went. And uh, dad sort of made, uh, he he had polio as a child, so he didn't have a lot of schooling. Actually, he didn't have any um, uh, real formal schooling. So he, you know, got into sales and, and got promoted and did exceptionally well. And I sort of followed him. So even through, you know, through university, et cetera, I worked there, but I was told I could never get a job there because of my dad. And uh, they got desperate, threw me a set of keys. I said, I'd do it for a couple of months until they found someone else. And 18 years later, I was, uh, I was still there. And uh, yeah, look, it was a, an amazing company. I, and we'll sort of go into it probably later, but I had um, a bit of a, a health condition that I learned about when I was 18. And I decided then to be Come high performing, so high performing in everything I did because I knew there's some things I couldn't control, but there was things that I did or I could control, and um, yeah, I think Coke just fitted perfectly into that high performing, and I had a, a great great career. Yeah. So what was when did the the point come where you're like, all right, I got to transition out of this? And and I, I think if I recall, fact check me, it was because of your health condition you were trying to maybe look at some different avenues for your life, right? Yeah, yeah, there was sort of two key reasons. So, you know, as you said, I'd sort of worked my way up and uh, I became a, a director of the company. I was doing very well, but I was always that sort of round peg in a square hole. So I was very much the entrepreneur. So when they wanted something fixed, they basically said, look, you know, there's no one else can fix this, Paul. Can you go and do it? Uh, a, a quick example is that we um, 
it lost all relevance in hotels, um, cafes, restaurants, etc. You know, you asked for a Coke and you didn't know whether you got a Coke or a Pepsi. Mm. You know, it was behind the, the bar and there was, um, so I'm sure you're all familiar with the little glass bottles, but they said, go to Europe. They do it very well there. Bring it back to Australia. And, and they're the type of things I, I did where I just went and fixed things. But at a certain point when you become... Uh, a director, you're not that maverick anymore. You know, you, you're not in charge of fixing things. You're in charge of more controlling things. And that didn't really work well with me. And I was always a family guy. I didn't want to work the hours that, you know, back then in 2010, 11, it was still, you know, if you didn't work your 80 hours, you uh, really struggled to, to do, do your job. And I, I just didn't think that was right. And then, yeah, that time, bomb ticking was my health. So uh, at 18, uh, I was diagnosed with uh, polycystic kidney disease. And in short, it's cysts that outgrow your kidneys. So, um, you know, most of us have a kidney that's sort of the size of a tennis ball. You know, I've still got a kidney now that's about the size of a soccer ball. So, you know, they grow to three and a half, four kilos. And um, yeah, over time, uh, my function by 2011 was about 40%. And there was only one way it was going, and that was to, to have kidney failure. And my nephrologist said, look, you know, I know you've got a fantastic job. You travel the world. You, you get lots of things. But that may not guarantee you seeing your grandkids, right? So, you know, it's a pretty simple choice. Do you want to see your grandkids or do you want to continue to work for a great company like Coca-Cola? And when you're given that choice, I suppose it's, uh, it's pretty easy to say, uh, okay, I'll go do something else. Was that because of like the stress it put on your body or what was the, what were the reasons why from a health side, you, it was, it was probably best to leave? Look, I think, yes, part of it was um, due to stress. And I think the hours I worked, the stress, the environment, that certainly didn't help because uh, one of the things kidneys does is control your blood pressure. You know, one of many things. Mm. So obviously stressful environments and the continued uh, pace doesn't doesn't help so I think that was one of them but the other thing is I wanted to take control I didn't want the company to look after me so to speak and and I really knew that doing my job with my condition would be near impossible uh it wouldn't be impossible but it'd be really difficult so I thought well why don't I go set something up so that as my health declines I can still contribute to the world and the other thing is that for most people that have kidney failure not me but most it's due to uh, dialysis uh, sorry diabetes right and the biggest impact of diabetes is normally diet and one of those is sugar so effectively I was working for the devil now you know through the the 90s and early 2000s was okay but by 2011 in Australia sugar was really becoming public enemy number one and I could see the writing was on the wall that we would not get the results that we could and it would only get more difficult so I thought well look if I can control my health the business is going to probably become fairly difficult more difficult to work in um, you know why don't I take my opportunities and uh, that's what I did in 2011. So what was the initial idea like what were you planning on doing you're leaving and then doing what what was the what was the, what was the plan? <laughs> Yeah, well, I was planning to leave for about five years. So uh, every year we had a golf tournament amongst friends. There's a group of 12 of us that have been together now for over 30 years, uh, all, all from school. And each year I'd say, okay, 
I wouldn't say it publicly, but to myself, I will not be in a corporate role the next uh, golf trip. And they'd all laugh and, you know, and people used to say, because, you know, growing up from three right through, it was a significant time you spent. They used to say, if someone, if, if I cut you, you'll bleed coke. You know, that's how loyal yeah. you are to it. And, um, yeah, so for five years I tried to leave and, uh, you know, Dad had been there for 25 years. Um, so he had an olive, uh, well, he had a farm that had um, olives. So mm. I went up and I said at the start, Dad, uh, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time sitting on our backsides picking olives in, you know, fairly hot weather. The only real thing I want out of this is I want to go and resign uh, when I when I get back and I want to know what I'm going to do. So we spent four days just talking, picking olives, and uh, I realised that I loved helping people mm-hmm. and I was always a really good leader and coach, so that's what I decided to do. So I decided to leave and uh, become an executive coach. Mm-hmm. And did you have like a the who you're going to work with, what types of clients, like what, what was kind of the, the thought around, like were you going to work at – for other companies, almost then bring you as a consultant? Was it going to be individual, you know, kind of small businesses? How did you structure that? Or how did you come to the realization of what you really wanted to do? Yeah, well, the truth is I didn't really know, but I had three specific plans. So one was uh, to get qualified as a, an executive coach. And uh, I did that through the IECL, which is the, I can't remember what the acronym stands for now, but it's a global recognized coaching. So I went and did that. The second is I thought I'll go and do some consulting for some big brands. So I walked into Apple and uh, started doing some work with them. And that was really helping connect corporate to apps Mm-hmm. So that was great. And then the third one was a company called Franklin Covey. I loved yeah. uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I uh, read that when I was uh, about uh, 21 and realised that, uh, well, I always said I'd work for them. So I went and did some facilitation for them. And look, all three of those were good, but they weren't running my own business. And all I was really doing was just swapping time for money. So I did that for about 12 months and uh, I spent a lot of time on a plane and I thought, hang on, I'm just like corporate again, but I uh, don't have the golden handcuffs. So uh, that's when I decided to pivot again and go into mentorship and advising for small businesses. And at this time, were obviously your health issues were still there. Were they still declining your kidney? Yeah. Yeah. And so what- look, it- yeah, sorry, you go. No, I was just going to say, so you, you were kind of, it wasn't like you were stress-free and everything was good. You're running, you're kind of doing the stuff. Like you still had the health stuff to, to deal with. Yeah, yeah. And and it was, it was, it was, uh, it was okay that, you know, at 45% kidney function, you know, you're not well, but it's hard because you've been unwell for such a long time. You just don't know what good is anymore. Um, later in life you know when it got to six percent function you you know it really if you if you think that you know you haven't slept for maybe 48 hours or you've had a a lot of alcohol you know that's how I felt 24 7 at six percent and also you get what's called uh, kidney fog so brain fog Mm. and you just can't remember things so uh, it was actually good now 
looking back on it, some of the systems I help other people build is because of the fact that I just lost a lot of my mental capacity when uh, my kidneys were so poor. Hmm. What, what are the, some of those systems that uh, have been helpful? Yeah, so like the virtual memory. So, you know, I use, um, I'm a, a huge listener of podcasts mm-hmm. and, you know, I collect knowledge and, you know, I basically have a knowledge management system. So I remember, I think Einstein was quoted once as, you know, you don't have to be this, um, you don't have to have all the knowledge, you just got to know where to find it. So I basically did that in the same way with my sales system, my sales CRM, how I structured it all. It was to remember or not to rely on my memory to get information and know how to get that information very quickly. And uh, the other one is a project management software. So those three things, knowledge management, a sales CRM and a project management really uh, helped me. And now it makes it easy for busy um, service-based business owners. Just making making sure you knew where the information was is what you're saying, using those tools properly, I, I guess, versus trying to remember everything. Yeah, and I remember reading a great memory book and it, and it started off with don't use your memory. And I thought that's a bit strange. But <laughs> they quickly talk about a party where, you know, you take your kids to, to a party and, um, you know, if you see a shoe that might have fallen off, you see something, put it with your car keys because you can't leave a party if you're driving without your car keys. So just put everything next to your car keys. So you only got to remember one thing. Mm. And that sort of stuck with me. And I think, you know, a lot of people try to remember so much where there is brilliant technology these days that can take a lot of that away. Yeah. Well, how are the, um, so at this time, you talk about your dad, obviously having those conversations with, but can you share some more of the, the support systems that you, so we're talking about kind of physical, like, uh, like technology systems, but support systems, like people in your life that kind of helped you get away from Coca-Cola move down this path of, of mentorship and running your own business. Can you share kind of how impactful that was for you? Yeah, well, the first one is my wife, Linda. So, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do it without her support. She worked in corporate and she sort of took, she's very pragmatic and pragmatic. And she took the view that, well, look, you go and and, and do this. I, I know why, because of your health, but then you can also do other things around the house. So it was sort of like, you know, if you make money, that's great. But if you don't make money, at least your health is the number one thing. So she was a, a huge support. Um, for for those that are looking at leaving, I highly recommend that you say it's going to take twice as long and halve the amount that you've got in your mind that you'll actually contribute back to the household. But I think it is really important. Like you love your business and you can see the opportunity ahead. But, you know, from a household point of view, you know, Linda used to just look at my bank account and say, look, I, I see you're doing all this activity, but you know, ultimately where's the money? So I ended up realising that if I just agreed to amount of cash that I contribute back into the household every month and deliver on that and make that the lowest number that she would accept, that made things a lot easier because, you know, it is really hard when you've been, you know, director at Coke, you're, you're remunerated quite well and all of a sudden to that not to be there, it does create some uncertainty in the household. So I think that's absolutely critical with the, whoever your partner is. The other one is um, mentors. So, you know, I went and spoke to as many people that I knew that had made the same jump as as I was about to do, and that was very helpful. And then I actually had a paid mentor that helped small business owners. And, uh, you know, I 
you know, and all along, even up until now, I've had a mentor the whole time. So the reason I've had a mentor has changed as my business has evolved. But I think that's absolutely critical. And if you join a community that have got people that have been, uh, have already gone through what you're about to go through, but not too far ahead, right? I think that is super critical in your success. How did you feel, you know, because I, I can only imagine going through that process, obviously, you, you know, your wife's probably very kind and like saying nice things at the, at the time, but there's also that, hey, you were here, like, you know, you're very high up and now you're down here again, you're almost kind of back to earth. How was your ego at that time? Like, how was your confidence? Like, how, how were you able to overcome some of those kind of stumbles starting out of the block, not making the money that you were making. Can you share just a little bit about, you know, how you got through that? Yeah, look, you know, to be honest, you spend most of your career, especially when you're a very senior at one of the biggest companies in the world saying what you didn't do, right? So I'd go to a party and if I ever said Coca-Cola was like, you know, someone they knew worked there, they wanted some, some drinks for their, you know, school fate or something, you know, they wanted, uh, can you get me a job there? So, no, I used to just say that, you know, I, I worked uh, uh, for a company and if they asked me more questions, I ended up saying I was a forklift driver, right? And as soon as you say you're a forklift driver, no offence to forklift drivers. I don't know if they, are they called forklift drivers in uh, in America? Um, yeah, depending, I guess, where you're, I guess that I, I, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, yeah. That, so, and that takes, so that's what I said. So yeah. I quickly stopped the conversation. Then I remember the first networking event I went into and I was like, I've got no idea what I do, right? Let alone trying to articulate it to, to somebody else. And yeah, that was, and, and I've never had a big ego. I was always, you know, the result first was the most important thing, not the prestige of a job. And I think for me, that's why I was a bit different to some others. Others really look for that prestige and that power. That wasn't my style, but it really hit hard with the thud when you walk in and you say I'm Paul Higgins from e-coaching and people sort of go you know well, so what why, why would I why would I talk to you and my parents thought I was dad sort of understood it a bit but my mum thought I'd completely flipped for them you know they're always proud of their children so what does your son do oh he's a director of Coca-Cola okay life's good uh, what does your son do uh, I don't know I, oh, really I don't know he's in his tracksuit pants and he he, he seems to having a midlife crisis. We've got no idea what he does. And I think most of my friends thought the exact same. Did, and because and you mentioned, you know, after you left Coca-Cola, you went, kind of did some things for about a year. You're doing the, the consulting with Franklin Covey and all that. And then obviously you pivoted again to something else. So how was that transition? Because again, going back to your talking with your wife and stuff, like, hey, I'm going to actually go into mentorship and mentorship, like, I have to imagine those weren't the most pleasant conversations. Well, the the great thing I learned at Coca-Cola is to constantly pivot and innovate, right? So okay. it's my nature, but it's also my environment. So, you know, I knew, I, you know, I was, I looked back and thought, you know, I can see the path ahead here and all it's going to do is, you know, someone gets paid three or four times more money than I do for me doing all the work, right? And that doesn't make sense. I've done that most of my career. So, you know, that's not why I left business. The other thing is I realised is coaching is all about, you know, asking the right questions to get the experience out of, out of someone. And I'm like, hang on, I've got, you know, I've worked in one of the best companies in the world. I've got so much experience and I can't share it. That just doesn't make sense to me. So that's when I decided to pivot and, you know, 
and and the, the, I've got an amazing work ethic. So Linda never was worried the fact that I'd be sitting home and doing nothing, right? Mm. So for me, I'm always innovating. That high performance is is there. And, you know, I put my case forward. She said, okay, that makes sense. And uh, the great thing with Coca-Cola is that we had such a range of clients. So we had lots of small uh, businesses. Mm. So I sort of understood that. But I also did, in planning for leaving, I did some advisory board work as well, where I sat on some advisory boards for some small businesses. And I realised, you know, that was where my heart was. Didn't want the corporate politics and the the slow decision making anymore. So uh, yeah, I went looked at small businesses, and the two things that I could see clearly that Coke did really well is they didn't have the right people. So I set out an outsourcing business out of the Philippines, mm-hmm. and the second thing is that they weren't tapping into technology. So I set up a tech consulting business, and you know that's what I did from. About 2013 to 2016, that's what I really focused on. Hmm. What are you finding with with some of the, the smaller organizations you're working with? What are you finding is maybe the, the hiccup or struggle that they're having the most? Like, is there something repetitive you're seeing over and over again? Yeah, so, you know, the two biggest things is sales and delivery. You know, so I work with mainly service-based businesses, and with them, it's they don't really have a sales system, so they rely a lot upon referrals, which is great. And referrals, sometimes to the first million dollars, it's perfect. Like if you're about to leave corporate, make sure that you get all your networks lined up so they can give you work when you leave. And even if you can guarantee some work, that's even better, right? Mm-hmm. So that that is brilliant. And referrals will get you a certain point, but then you've got to have your own sales systems. You've got to have... Leads coming in, you've got to have an offer that converts. So I find a lot of people don't don't have that right, and a lot of people never had sales training, right? So, so getting referrals and converting warm leads is really easy. Getting cold leads and converting them is a lot harder. So that's the first thing. The other one is delivery, where they just, you know, they they love, um, you know, basically getting a result for their client, but they over-service them, right? And they get st- duck in a detail of everything so everything stops with them and I think they constantly have this battle of I've got a lot of great I've got some sales in I've got some good clients now okay I'll go do the client work and then clients leave and they're like well I don't have any sales so they're constantly pivoting uh, between the two and they're the things that I see as you know top line the two biggest issues that most service-based business owners face Mm, okay yeah, and I, I could definitely relate to that because it seems like from at least, again, being in software sales, I kind of see this all the time with especially younger folks or a lot of the businesses I, I talk with just don't know. For some reason, I, I think it's the old adage of sales like that's kind of in their head. Maybe they, they've seen it in movies and TV and they think that's how it is. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not the way to get ahead, trust me. So I don't disagree with you on those points. Um well, let me ask you this. How did you, so you tra- you're talking about transitioning, pivoting, you know, always innovating. So I want to talk a little about Build, Live, Give because you started a podcast, you wrote a book, you know, kind of transitioning stuff. Take either one of those. We'll talk about both, but why did you start podcasting? Why did you decide to write? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said, 2016, my kidney function had really declined. And uh, I couldn't travel anymore. Uh, well, I, I went on one last trip with my family for eight weeks and I thought, what can I do 
to earn income whilst I'm travelling around uh, Europe, potentially for my last trip with my family. And that's when I set up a, a mastermind. So it was group coaching, mastermind for people and also a membership. And um, that, that gave me the ability to work from anywhere at any time. And I just became a silent partner in my tech consulting business. Mm. So that's where I made sort of the big change in uh, 2016. And, and um, you know, for me then, it's like, well, how do I get leads in, in a, you know, into to my membership? And I'd always listen to podcasts. I'd always, um, you know, that would be my key source of, of knowledge, as I said before. So I mm. thought, well, why don't I watch a podcast? So in 2017, that's what I did. I haven't missed a, a week since then. Mm. I've had a, you know, um, I've had a, a major operation where I had a kidney removed, nearly lost my life, and uh, I've had a transplant for my best friend. Between all of that, but podcasting, I've you know consistently done uh, every week, and I love it. So you know, it was basically to help, yes, to help others, but mainly to get uh, a lead source into my business. And then the book, when you're sitting on dialysis uh, for you know four and a half hours, three times a week what do you do right so I do a little bit of work but I thought well why don't I give back by creating uh, a book that when people come to me because I've sort of moved up now as I'm a big believer in you go and learn something you work it out yourself and then you share it to others so I've you know done the corporate move uh, so I've done that I've um built businesses and I had a successful exit last year of our tech consulting business so that's great and, you know, I've run my own businesses. But people often came to me and said, you know, if I'm about to leave corporate, well, what do I do to, to make that transition? What do I do at the start? So I thought, well, the best way is just to write a book and say, here, this is everything I learned over eight years of transitioning and building service-based businesses. So that's what I did. And the company is, you know, you build a great business live a good life and you give back. So that's why the podcast and the book are called Build, Live, Give and the, the company is as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And so you're, are you a three-year anniversary then of the podcast? Yeah. Yeah, same yeah. here. That's uh, that's cool. Uh, it's, a, you know, it's one of those things too, like the consistency, you just got to put in the time, you know, it takes time and, and you just got to put it in, especially if you have a passion for it. it. It's almost, it's definitely some work, but it's actually easy because, you know, like having conversations like this you know it's just uh it's just cool so uh congrats yeah, and then you know yeah and and you know and building the team you know i've got a brilliant team that do it like you know to be you know very unwell spent a lot of time in hospital you know you have to have that system and that was the great thing of that is that it meant that i did you know, every time i looked at something i thought well how can i not do this it wasn't how can i do this right and i think if you're listening now or watching this you know, just think about all the things I always say to people, you can do it, but should you do it, right? I had a burning platform. I hardly had any time. I had hardly any mental capacity because of the kidney fog. So I had to let go, right? But often, you know, you talked about the two things, that the problems, so sales and delivery, but the ultimate thing is the ability to let go. Right. And if you can let go, I was fortunate I had a burning platform for whatever yours is. It might be a motivation to where you want to go, but the ability to let go is critical so that you can do this. I can have a great podcast interview. If, if I was interviewing you, Brian, you know, I do the interview and that's it. Everything else is done for me. I think that's really critical. Yeah. What did, so obviously you went, are, are you fully healthy now? You had a kidney transplant? 
yeah, yeah, look, I am. It's, uh, I'm back riding my bike. Uh, I play golf. Um, the biggest thing is I've just got to be uh, sun aware. So you've got 90% chance of getting melanoma cancer because of the drugs that you mm. take. So, you know, there's, there's certain things and, and, you know, I still take 20 tablets a day. So, you know, I'm not as healthy as, as you or others uh, watching it now, but compared to what I was at 6% kidney function, <laughs> I'll take now every, every minute of the day. It's great. And you mentioned the, was it like a disease or something you had disorder or whatever um, that you, you had learned about when you were 18? Does that go away when you have the transplant or is that still technically there? It just won't it is in one kidney. Okay. Yeah. So in the kidney that's still there and I've also got it in the liver. So the liver and the kidney are still growing cysts. And at some point they'll remove because my kidney is a, you know, it's, it's quite large. It's four and a half kilos. So, um, and, and when they remove the one on the right to get the new one in, the one on the left now sort of falls in the middle, right? Mm. So I look like I'm, I'm slightly pregnant with this big <laughs> big kidney that, uh, that sits there. So that'll continue until basically if the cysts get um, toxic uh, or diseased, then they'll remove it. But just quickly on the first removal, um, you know, I went in for keyhole surgery, thought it would be pretty simple. They ended up tearing my main eye um, artery to the heart because of the size to remove it and I was basically bleeding to death and yeah they said if you hadn't done all the preparation and keep yourself kept yourself fit and did everything there's no way you, you would have got through this and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen what a shark bite looks like but that's you know it, it, it's like a surgeon has panicked with a knife <laughs> and, mm. and uh, removed removed something at a quick time so uh, I was very lucky to uh, to get through that, and uh, also lucky to have a best mate that was a perfect donor. How did you when you were eighteen? Again, this is just my more my brain goes curiosity wise. Like, how did you know you had like? How did, did they figure it out through like blood tests or just? Yeah. It, it was something. Like, how did they? How did they know there was some diff, There was something they need to check deeper on. One is I had blood pressure, very high blood pressure. Okay. Now I'm talking 180 and 120 for an 18 year old. That's, that's completely abnormal. And the second thing is they just did scan, you know, they did a simple ultrasound and they can just see the cysts through the, the, the two organs, the kidney and the liver. So, and it's 50, 50 at birth. So my children haven't been tested yet. There's 19 and 16. They've got a 50% chance of uh, having it as well, unfortunately. So I'm assuming your perspective on life has changed a ton going through that, right? Has, are there any specific lessons you've learned just going through that, the health, you know, challenges, scare, whatever you want to, you know, call it, but anything you learn that kind of impactful for folks that might just take an everyday life? Yeah, look, and everyone always says, you know, how, how precious health is and life, et cetera. And, you know, I, I get all of that, but, but I think the, the one thing for me is that in corporate with Franklin Covey, you know, I used to do an exercise, which was a daily reflection, you know, what's your mission in life? What's your purpose? What are your values? And what I do is I'd read that in the morning, then I'd go and live my corporate life and be someone different. Mm. So from a biblical sense, I was like, I wanted to be Paul, but I was Saul, right? So I wasn't aligned. And I think the biggest thing with my health and what I've been through is just be the one person, right? Just be just be you. Don't try to be two people. And I was a corporate person and I was a non-corporate person and it just created a lot of 
um, uh, yeah, a lot of stress and uh, discomfort. Whereas now I look at myself in the mirror and what I read in the morning and what I do is completely aligned. And I think that's the opportunity what a, a severe health condition can give you is because you realise what's truly important and then you just go and live that life. So if you're living a double life at the moment, it's difficult, uh, you know, I, I give a lot of tips in my book, Build, Live, Give, but but I think, you know, just live the one life and, um, yeah, you'll be, well, for me personally, I'm so much happier. Yeah. Was that a long discovery process for you or was that kind of a light bulb moment one day clicked in? How, how did you uncover that? Good question. I think it was a, a long discovery process because, you know, I, yeah, I spent 18 years in corporate, right? So it wasn't a short uh, period. But I think the moment that I left and started helping other people in a way that was really congruent with my uh, purpose and my mission, that's when the light bulb moment came on. I said, okay, that's what I'm I'm here to do. So I loved working corporate. I've got an enormous amount of experience from it and it was great. But now I know that what I do every day is what I was put here to do. And that, that is so fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Well, so I always like to, now you just gave some great advice there. That might be it, but I'm going to ask you to share uh, something else too. So I want you to go back though. So let, let's use your 18 year old self. Obviously, you know, you're, you're in that period where obviously you got this health um, challenges that you had figured out, but I want you to go back to that person, maybe prior to corporate America and maybe one piece of sound advice, again, maybe what you just gave. So who knows, but that would help someone kind of going along in their journey. Anything else you would share? I w- I'd like to say it has to be really short and concise on a, on a post-it note kind of makes it fun, but anything else you would share as uh, that, that person can take with them going forward? One word. Right, one word only, and that's travel. Right, I I did a little bit. So I used to the deal that I signed in corporate was that I could have four weeks off in a row each year, which as a sales rep was unheard of. But you know, I thought if you um, you know you always ask and you might get, so I did, and I travelled, etc. But I think you know that that travel and seeing different cultures and different people around the world is so important. That's why I love doing this because, you know, I spend most of my life talking to people all over the world, which, which I love. The Coke company was the same thing. We used to travel a lot and my children, you know, the joy of leaving when I did in 2011 is that I'm taking, I've taken them multiple times overseas to see a world that is different to the one we live here in Melbourne, Australia, which is very, very, you know, Melbourne's rated the, well, it was pre-COVID the number one city in the world to live in, right? Mm. So it, it's a fantastic place to live. But I wanted to take my kids to, you know, it took them to Soweto in South Africa where, you know, they went through uh, that experience. They've been to the Philippines uh, and seeing, you know, how, how people live. But I think that's, that's the big one for me is just travel as much as you can. And whilst you're travelling, just ask questions, you know, just ask about different cultures, different people, because the world is getting smaller and smaller. You know, with post-COVID now, we're all going to do this video conferencing more and more. So the more you can learn about different cultures, different people, I think the uh, and the the rich experiences that you can't buy in books, I think that's what I'd uh, recommend. That's awesome. Do, do you take your uh, do you take your golf clubs with you on those trip on those trips? 
Uh, no, I, I didn't. Um, but if I'm going now, yes. And it, it's funny, like I used to chase the sun, right? So um, now I've got to take a slightly different approach. So, um, yeah, I've got to find a, a cool climate that will also, um, you know, a, allow for golf but not be too hot. So uh, yeah. they will in the future. Y'all have some good tracks down there. That's one of the places I really want to – I want to – get down to Australia because uh, there, there's some great golf courses there. What's, what's your favorite you played? Well, look, Royal Melbourne is, is special. That's like, you know, two miles from my house. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. There's a course called the national, which mm-hmm. is uh, right on the coast here, but we're, we're so lucky. I, I literally live in what's called the sand belt, which has got some of the best golf soil in the world. And um, yeah, we're, we're spoiled by uh, spoiled by choice here. That's and and the and the price. You know, if I look at what you pay in America for a game of golf or to be a golf member, versus here in Australia, where it's so affordable here. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, if you ever come over to the states, we'll have to tee it up sometime. That'd be fun. Yeah, sorry, Brian. I just lost the audio for one sec. Oh, that's okay. I was saying if you, if you uh, come over to the States, uh, we'll have to tee it up. We'll, uh, we'll get you on some good tracks over here. So make sure, make sure you bring the sticks. Well, that's it. As a gift to my donor who, you know, 30 years, he, he used to be a professional golfer. So I was taking him to the U.S. and we're due to leave on the 20th of March of 2020. And uh, we all know what happened. Oh. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll maybe ne- – Maybe in a couple of years' time. I think my nephrologist isn't too keen for me to go to the States at the moment. I think there's a few other places that I'd I'd go to. I think you guys have got a little bit of work to do before uh, I I get over there. Yeah, maybe 2022. We'll uh, we'll, (laughs) we'll earmark 2022. We'll see where we're at there. But this has been uh, super fun, uh, Paul. Really, really glad to get in touch with you and uh, and have you on the podcast and uh, and and share your unique story because I think it's been helpful for a lot of folks just to kind of again, there's no right or wrong path um, as long as you're going toward that mission, as you mentioned. You know, you're gonna you're gonna have a good and, and fun life. You know. Yeah, great. And, and look, thanks for the opportunity. As I said, you know, there's the book. So build, live, give. You can find that on Amazon, and it's also the audio book as well. And, um, yeah, my podcast, Build, Live, Give, you know, I interview fantastic people talking about their journeys from, you know, a corporate or a job into building uh, a service-based business. So, um, you know, yeah, find me there. And uh, my website's paulhigginsmentoring.com. That's perfect. And I'll put everything in the show notes as well for everyone listening in. They can click right through it and, uh, and get to that. Paul, super, super excited to have you on. Thank you so much and uh, look forward to uh, keeping in touch. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Brian. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that great interview. And thanks again for stopping by. Um, If you wanted to connect further, please head over to my website, brianondraco.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-O-N-D-R-A-K-O.com. As well as connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at brianondraco. Or search me on LinkedIn, just brianondraco. Um, I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.